I V M. You are required to ensure the security of this country against any aggressor. What does that mean for you? It means that you shall have to fight and fight to win. There is no room for the loser. That was Field Marshal Sam Manikshaw the iconic Indian Army chief during the 1971 war, addressing passing out cadets at the Indian Military Academy. His words echoed the spirit that prevailed within India's armed forces during the 1971 war. Hello everyone, Jai Hind, Satsriyakal and Vanakkam. You are listening to the first podcast in the series, Wars and Warriors, brought to you by IVM Podcasts. And I'm your host, Air Vice Marshal Arjun Subramaniam. Brace up for a roller coaster ride as we begin this series with three podcasts on India's spectacular military victory over Pakistan in 1971. And more importantly, its strategic role in the creation of Bangladesh. For now, we begin with shaping the battlefield. Before I tell you that, it's now time to take a break. And we're back. Welcome back to Wars and Warriors. Twenty-sixth March, nineteen seventy-one. As dawn broke in Dhaka, the sound of running boots, a continuous staccato of machine guns firing, and the rumbling of tanks punctured the quietness of the academic environment at Dhaka University. Saber fighter jets joined in soon, targeting specific buildings. The crackdown had begun as Lieutenant General Tikka Khan, the martial law administrator of East Pakistan, later known as the Butcher of Bangladesh, began his genocidal campaign to eliminate intellectuals and protesters who expressed their allegiance to Sheikh Mujibur Rahman. The stage was set for South Asia to descend into chaos as the next few weeks saw millions of refugees from East Pakistan stream across the porous border with India and precipitate a crisis that brought back memories of the horrors of the partition of the subcontinent. Alarmed at the turn of events, India's Prime Minister Indira Gandhi was a worried leader. Turning to her army chief, General Sam Manekshaw, during an important cabinet meeting, she inquired whether the Indian army was ready to go into East Pakistan in the coming weeks and stop the genocide. That would mean war, Prime Minister. And there is no way I can assure you that Pakistan will not open a second front. I need time to get my forces ready. Manikshaw continued, Madam Prime Minister, we are already into April. The monsoon is around the corner and the chances of getting bogged down in East Pakistan, which has several rivers, are very high. We also need to remember that the mountain passes in Sikkim and the Northeast Frontier Agency, now called Arunachal Pradesh, would open soon and we cannot rule out the possibility of China coming in to aid the Pakistanis. Now, despite her displeasure, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi heeded the advice of her army chief and nimbly turned to her intelligence agencies and diplomats 
to shape the environment before India went to war. Rushing to the Military Operations Directorate at Army Headquarters, Sam Manekshaw gathered his planners and pushed them for one last time to give him the confidence that could send him back to the Prime Minister and say, Madam Prime Minister, we are ready to go into East Pakistan in a few weeks. Among them was a senior major from the Corps of Engineers, Major B.T. Pandit, who was in charge of logistics planning. When quizzed by Manekshaw, Pandit struck to his initial assessment that there was no chance of supporting an offensive into East Pakistan from three directions if India went to war in early May. I was called into the ops room where the DMO was in discussion with our iconic army chief, then General Sam Maniksha, his vice chief and the DMI. On a nudge from the DMO, I mentioned that the time required for move, stocking and build-up would vary from four to six weeks for a single thrust from the west to as much as three to four months for multi-thrust options. The chief gave very patient hearing, notwithstanding my seniority or the lack of it, and after reconfirming that the Eastern Command was in agreement with this assessment, he remarked somewhat wistfully that this would take us smack in the middle of the monsoons. Reassured with that assessment, Manikshaw went on to apprise his fellow chiefs from the Navy and the Air Force that he had gained them six months of breathing time to plan and prepare for a campaign that had little chances of failure. The lessons from history hung heavy over Manikshaw's head as he had taken over the defeated Four Corps in Tezpur, Assam in November 1962, after the Chinese had declared a ceasefire following the comprehensive rout of the Indian Army. Manikshaw had no intentions of going to war ill-prepared this time. Realising that the Pakistan Army would be no pushover in East Pakistan with an overall strength of almost 100,000, including irregulars called the Razakar, Manikshaw went about building his forces around East Pakistan, not with the aim of only creating a numerical superiority, but also to grab the psychological edge of being able to advance into East Pakistan from several directions. Ringing East Pakistan with three corps and a division-sized force, he supplemented them with eyes and ears in the form of the Mukti Bahini, the nearly 35,000-strong guerrilla force about which you will hear later on in this episode. The Indian Navy and the Indian Air Force too were ready for action by mid-November 1971. Admiral S.M. Nanda, India's naval chief in 1971, was in the prime of his career when India went to war with Pakistan in 1965. Frustrated and angry that the Indian Navy was hardly used in that conflict, he was now determined to make the Navy count. An operational masterstroke in 1971 was to strengthen the Navy's eastern fleet by stealthily transferring the Indian Navy's only aircraft carrier, INS Vikram along with a few other combat ships, from the western seaboard to the eastern seaboard, despite vehement protests from Vice Admiral Kohli, the commander-in-chief of the Navy's Western Naval Command. Instead of stationing the Vikrant at Vizag or Vishakapatnam, Nanda stealthily positioned it in the Andaman-Nicobar Islands, 
away from the prying eyes of Pakistani ships that traversed the Bay of Bengal. Consequently, the Pakistan Navy was made to believe all along that India's aircraft carrier was located in Vizag. More about the Vikrant and the Pakistan Navy's quest to sink it in the next episode. How did the Indian Air Force prepare for war in the Eastern Theatre? Air Chief Marshal Pratap Chandralal, the Indian Air Force chief and a World War II veteran much like Sam Manikshaw, had commanded a hurricane squadron during the closing stages of the Burma campaign and was a seasoned campaigner. Having been the vice chief of the Indian Air Force during the 1965 war, he was determined not to make the same mistakes again. Lal had initiated widespread transformational initiatives in the Indian Air Force. Among these were building new forward airfields, strengthening air defence measures and improving joint operational procedures with the Army and the Navy. Though there was only one Pakistan Air Force fighter squadron based in East Pakistan at Tezgaon Airfield, on the outskirts of Dhaka, Lal took no chances as he readied nine airfields around East Pakistan and inducted over 10 fighter squadrons to conduct an air campaign that would quickly achieve complete air superiority and support the Indian Army in a joint campaign. Complementing the conventional build-up of combat capability from April 1971 was the creation of a vast network of covert operations in East Pakistan through an extensive recruitment and training program of disaffected and patriotic Bengali nationalists loyal to Sheikh Mujib that was named Operation Jackpot. The force called the Mukti Fauj or the Mukti Jodha or even the Mukti Bahini also comprised officers, soldiers, sailors and airmen from the Pakistan Army's East Bengal Rifles and other units who had joined the freedom struggle and provided the structure and discipline for the guerrilla force to trouble the well-trained Pakistan army. Trained by selected officers, junior commissioned officers and men from the Indian army and ably assisted by the Research and Analysis Wing or RNDAW and the Border Security Force, several high-profile Bengali-speaking officers trained and even led the Mukti Bahaini into battle. It was an intricate and brilliant covert operation. Among these covert operators was Major Shankar Roy Chaudhary, who later rose to be the Chief of Army Staff. Recovering from a bout of pneumonia recently, the octogenarian veteran recalled those momentous months with gusto. We got a directive from Eastern Command saying all Bengali-speaking officers were to congregate in Ox of Eastern Command in Fort William. We had under us this Charlie sector. We had a training camp at an artist at a place called Chakulia in Bihar, where the Mukti Bahini recruits used to be brought for training. And just to ensure that these were genuine recruits, the Bangladeshi members of the National Assembly, who were also crossed over into India, were deputed to see that only the genuine goods got in. It was not only the land component of the Mukti Bahini that emerged as a fighting force, but also a mysterious but potent underwater naval guerrilla force called the Naval Commando Operations X or Force Alpha. Comprising a stealthy group of Indian Navy divers, 
led by Captain Samant and eight Bengali submariners from a Pakistan Navy submarine who defected from Europe and found their way to India after a thrilling escape. The group attracted a large bunch of Bengali youth with a proficiency in swimming. This force would go on to wreak havoc on Pakistani shipping from as early as August 1971. Training at a camp near the historic battlefield of Plassey in West Bengal on the banks of the river Bhagirathi, hundreds of Muktibaini frogmen were trained by the Indian Navy. Captain Samant recollects with pride. The fact remains that the main effect of turning the tide of the Pakistan war was this effort by Bangladesh naval commandos on paralyzing the Pakistan's shipping in East Pakistan, which actually strangled the Pakistan army supplies and logistics, which they required desperately to maintain themselves from East Pakistan. After their training was over, the band of underwater assault swimmers would first infiltrate into East Pakistan, arrive at vantage points close to all the key ports along the Padma, Jamuna, Surma and Meghna rivers, such as Narayangan, Chandpur, Chalna and Khulna, including the well-defended Chittagong Harbour. They would then wait for nightfall before plunging into the muddy but warm waters and swim stealthily towards ships and barges that were identified as supporting the Pakistan army. Attaching limpet mines to the hull of the ships, they would detonate them and disappear into the dark of the night. It was not only the Mukti Bahini that provided good situational awareness and battlefield transparency to the Indian Army. The Indian Air Force too carried out several intrusive reconnaissance missions by hunter aircraft of 37 Squadron or the Black Panthers that were modified for the photo reconnaissance role. Flying officer Harish Masan, later an air marshal and among the early Indian Air Force pilots to shoot down a sabre after the war was formally declared, has this to say about the various reconnaissance missions flown by him before the war commenced. By mid-1971, our squadron 37 was given an additional task of fighter reconnaissance or FR and had six fighters and a trainer modified with three Winton cameras each by about August. We did about eight or nine missions, the most memorable of which uh, were the ones on 4th November when we discovered Sedpur airfield uh, close to Hilly, for which I was treated like a VIP for a fleeting few hours. But that's another story. And the one on 2nd December over Komila and Lalmai Hills for General Sagat's four corps. We also did a mission over Tangail just before the paradrop on 11th December. How many of you have heard about Kilo Flight? A covert air unit that was set up by the Indian Air Force at Dimapur in Nagaland under the overall leadership of Group Captain Chandan Singh along with a few young but highly qualified Indian Air Force helicopter and transport pilots and the first lot of Bengali pilots from Bangladesh Air Force. The flight was equipped with a Dakota, an otter aircraft fitted with rocket pods, and a few Alouette helicopters fitted with machine guns. The reason for creating this unit as spelt out by Air Chief Marshal Lal was essentially to give the Bengali pilots a sense of participation in the war to liberate East Pakistan 
from the Pakistani rulers. By mid-November, almost 10 million refugees had crossed over into India and sensing that despite her best efforts, she had failed at convincing world powers to step in and stop the carnage in East Pakistan, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi gave the green signal on November 18th during a cabinet meeting for preparatory military action to begin around East Pakistan. In military terms, this is known as shaping the battlefield and consisted of probing attacks by the Indian Army on border defences, stepped-up sabotage action inside East Pakistan by the Mukti Bahini, but not widespread action that could be called war in the true sense. Let me now give you a broad sense of force structures and the Indian Army Orbat in November 1971. Two corps commanded by Lieutenant General Raina, a future chief, was the southernmost Indian Army formation and was deployed to the north of Kolkata and made probing attacks in the Boira region opposite the strong Jessore cantonment of the Pakistan Army. From North Bengal and Assam, making inroads towards the towns of Thakurgaon, Saitpur and Hili, was 33 Corps under Lieutenant General Thapan. 101 Communication Zone was a division-sized force commanded by Major General Nagra that came in from Meghalaya and ultimately made a run for Dhaka when the opportunity arrived. Last was the corps that split the Pakistani defences with its aggressive manoeuvres and made it possible for India to change its war objectives midway through its offensive from the east. Yes, I'm talking about four corps, commanded by Lieutenant General Sagat Singh, about whom you will hear extensively in the next episode. The Indian Air Force deployed MiG-21s, Hunters, Sukhois and Nats as its fighter force along with Mi-4 and Chetak helicopters at 8 AFP. These were Kalaikunda, Dum Dum, Panagad, Bagdogra, Hasimara, Gohati, Kumbigram and Agartala, while a few other large helicopter launch pads were created as the war progressed. The Indian Navy's Eastern Fleet was led by the INS Vikrant, along with its battle group that comprised the frigates INS Brahmaputra and INS Bias, with the destroyer INS Rajput that remained at the Eastern Naval Headquarters at Vizag. Among the probing battles in November 1971, none is more important than the land and aerial battle that took place at Garibpur in the Boira sector on 21st and 22nd November. And that will be our last pit stop on this episode. It is now time to take another break. We'll be back shortly. We are back to wars and warriors with me, Air Vice Marshal Arjun Subramaniam. Let us continue from where we left off. As a battalion from the Indian Army's Punjab Regiment, supported by a squadron of PT-76 light tanks from 45 Cavalry launched a probing attack on 20th November. They faced stiff resistance from a Pakistani army brigade that was supported by a squadron of the much superior Chaffee tanks and even suffered some losses to aerial strikes by the Pakistan Air Force's Sabre jets. However, superior manoeuvring by the Indian tanks resulted in the destruction of 14 enemy tanks for a loss of only two Indian tanks. In fact, the Battle of Garipur could well be the first major battle fought between the Indian Army and the Pakistan Army. 
Major Balram Mehta was part of 45 cavalry in this battle. The historic tank versus tank battle fought at Garipur in Erswali, East Pakistan on 21 November 71 resulted in the complete destruction of Pakistan's three independent armored squadron consisting of 14 Shafi tanks and badly mauled two infantry battalions besides shooting down three Sabre jets. The biggest attack launched by Lieutenant General A.K. Niazi against India went up in smoke. Indian cabinet decision taken on 18 November 1971 permitting troops to cross the international border in self-defense resulted in converting early success into launch pads when Pakistan declared war on 3 December 71 adding momentum to the lightning campaign. Garipuri presents the beginning of the end. defeat turning into disaster and bursting the pakistani myth of invincibility the battle of garipur is noteworthy for destruction of a complete squadron for the loss of two tanks it also signifies a radical change in the political and military mindset of india and shedding of its historical baggage of past centuries and recent conflicts the iaf's 22 squadron was determined to make the afternoon of 22 november count as four of their young top guns pounced on four sabers shooting down two of them and severely damaging a third in the ensuing dogfight that was witnessed by hundreds of troops on the ground from either side when air chief marshal lal visited the squadron the next day he remarked that the atmosphere was as though the war had already been won one of those young guns was flying officer don lazarus Now in Malaysia as an instructor after having retired from the Indian Air Force years ago Don recalls Can you imagine there was a third Sabre aircraft that came on on the scene and he was flying in between Ganapati and my aircraft and he was turning right I maneuvered my aircraft to get behind this aircraft and took a shot at him The shot was so accurate that it hit the wing root and the engine caught fire. And I was I had to overfly him. I was so close to him and the debris from his aircraft hit my aircraft. It damaged my aircraft and my fuel tank was damaged and I got a warning red warning light in my cockpit saying that my fuel transfer had failed. In the meantime, Massey had shot one aircraft Ganapati one and I three aircraft were there all three were shot down and four of us came back and landed that dum dum the ground crew was so excited that they literally lifted us up out of the cockpit as november passed and a gentle mist settled over the area the two countries hurtled towards war as india's probing attacks at multiple places in east pakistan forced pakistan's hand to open a second front on the western front in a big way the pakistan air force struck several indian air force airfields on the evening of 3rd december prompting prime minister indira gandhi to remark to one of her advisers the fool yahya has done it i speak to you at a moment of grave peril to our country and our people some hours ago Soon after 5:30 p.m. on the 3rd of December, Pakistan launched a full-scale war against us. 
the Pakistan Air Force suddenly struck at our airfields in Amritsar, Pathankot, Srinagar, Avantipur, Uttarlai, Jodhpur, Ambala and Agra. Their ground forces are shelling our defence positions in Sulemankhi, Khemkaran, Poonch and other sectors. In the next episode, which airs on 3rd December, to commemorate the actual declaration of war, I will bring you the race to Dhaka, as India's armed forces executed what has come to be known as the Lightning Campaign and helped shape Mujibur Rahman realize his dreams of leading a free nation that came to be called Bangladesh. <laughs>